Welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast. My name is Charles Lego and I'm your host. On today's episode, we're delighted to welcome Rancho Cordova Vice Mayor David Sander, PhD. What will this city look like? Ooh. We'll have a lot more tech jobs. Yeah. We will have uh, hopefully more construction along Folsom Boulevard. We'll have a greater variety of housing than we do now. Our kids will be more engaged in extracurricular activities than they are now, and everybody will be guaranteed a more equitable option in pursuing those those extracurricular activities. Our kids, I think there'll be more options for adults with regard to recreation and entertainment as well. The Mills yeah. Crossing will be open. Mills it's Crossing will be, yeah, five years from now it should be there. open. Yeah. We should be having theater where, theater events there, yeah. and the and veterans where, should be meeting there. And where will the Art House movie theater be? That is a very good question we need yeah. to follow up on, right. Charles. Yeah. Vice Mayor Sander has been involved with the city of Rancho Cordova since incorporation in 2003 and was immediately elected to the city council. He was re-elected for five consecutive four-year terms and has served the residents of the city since 2003. He has served four terms as mayor and four terms as vice mayor, which he is this year. Councilman Sander, I have been trying for a few months to get you here, and finally here we are, so thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Charles, it's my pleasure to be here. So let me start off by asking you, how did you first get involved with the city of Rancho Cordova, and how heavily were you involved in the incorporation proceedings, or whatever you call that, and then the subsequent building of the city to the success? that it is today? Oh, those are big questions. Yeah. Uh, I moved here in 1998. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I had to decide what coast we were going to live on. Right. And we may cover a little of that later on. We chose Rancho Cordova. Right. Uh, moved Straight to Rancho Cordova? Yes. Yeah. Moved here and uh, found a great house in a great neighborhood, very near the American River Parkway. Loved, loved the neighborhood, loved everything about it. Um, there were elections that happened about six months later that I was not so happy with the outcome of. Right. Uh, and so I became engaged. I said, I'm going to be involved on the right side of the next campaign that's going to impact me. Right. And it was a county supervisor race, Roger Nilo. Right. And I worked for him. You he did? was elected uh, by a landslide. And we, uh, he in turn appointed me to a planning commission. And, and so. We, and we actually had him on the show two oh, or three good. weeks ago. Yes. Senator Nilo now. Senator Nilo. Yeah. He, it was a great interview. He's yes. a very nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and so that sort of triggered me into the local political scene. And what I didn't realize at the time was that there was an incorporation effort going on because I had just moved here. Right. So I had to educate myself about that. Frankly, originally, my impression was to say, no, we don't, we don't need another level of government. Right. Um, we don't need this incorporation. But as I became more experienced with how the county was operating in that planning commission role, it, I was appointed to what was called CPAC at right. the time, Cordova Planning Advisory Council. I realized we have a big problem, and this community has a big problem. And when it came time to figure out who was going to run for city council when those incorporation leaders actually got it to the ballot, I was in a way the ranking local official because there were no other local officials. Wow. Okay. So I, you know, I was involved in negotiations, the final incorporation efforts going through the legal process. I was on the chamber board by that time. I was relatively engaged, but I wasn't as engaged as, say, a Linda Budge or a Bob right. McGarvey or a Kurt Haven, right. who had been working on this for and decades before talk I lived about here. them. So um, you, so you uh, were elected to the city council in 2003. 2002. And then, 2002. In November. And then you have to wait six months to incorporate. I see. So that's why we And then there was another election in 2004. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we've had several people on the podcast that were very instrumental in those days. Uh, in fact, next week we have Kurt Haven. Excellent. Here, and he definitely was instrumental from what I can figure out. So tell us about some of the memories you have of working with the early people. So, for example, um, Cyrus Abar, Linda Budge, Bob McGarvey, David Roberts. Oh. So just tell us about some of those memories and how did you guys, what was the process? You know, it's a new city, you all meet, what happens from there? Well, you know, a lot of memories flood back when you list those names and we're talking about those times. I can remember standing in front of the LAFCO Commission at the time, trying to determine what the Ranch Cordova boundary was. And the city of Folsom had set representatives saying that their boundary ought to extend all the way to Sunrise, which in our view was pretty much in the middle of right. Rancho Cordova. And we were negotiating on the side with the corporate governance of Aerojet. We had a member of the assembly who was helping us. And Anthony, this is all of you guys. Anthony Fischetti, all everybody you just yeah, mentioned really? was there. And we all had a part in that negotiation to figure out, like, at that meeting, at that time, where's this boundary going to end up? It was a pretty remarkable little snippet, if you think of where we are now. And right. we were powerless. Right. Because the incorporation process gives almost no power no. to the proponents. The county holds all the power. Wow. So was Roger Nilo involved? Not in that case. No. He okay. was not serving on LAFCO. And you were in a temporary city hall in those days, right? That was even before we had a city hall. Oh, really? That was before we had the vote for incorporation. So where did you, like, do your stuff from? Uh... The chamber offices were yeah. home. So Kurt Haven was executive director of the Ranch Cordova Chamber of Commerce. They were really like the driving force of incorporation. There was also a Ranch Cordova Incorporation Committee that had been engaged since, I think, 1978 when Bob McGarvey founded it. Yeah. I saw some photos recently of all of you guys, like 20 years ago, and it's it's definitely good to see. The hair's not gray. It's yeah, brown. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody yeah. is. I uh, saw one of those recently, too. Yeah. Uh, what is the most important issue facing the city of Rancho Cordova today? Boy, there are several. You know, we became a city because we were neglected. We had been probably the most prosperous, the most successful, the most sought after um, area in the county previous to, say, 1990. This was the place, as you've probably covered in a lot of these podcasts, I know because I've, I've listened to a lot of these podcasts about the sports history at right. Cordova High School. Right, and we're going to definitely get into sports. But with the you. economic success, the social right. success, Aerojet booming, Air Force here, uh, corporate center blossoming. I mean, this was the place to be in the county. Right. This was the highest quality of life, highest average income, highest average education. They had everything going for them. Right. And then this natural process occurred that says, oh, look, there's a new suburb. And people move on, and other people come in and replace, and businesses like Aerojet and the Air Force shrink. And the community underwent this radical change. And by the time I was living here in 1998, it was in need of saving. A lot of those trends are still ongoing. Those are ongoing battles for the city. Right. How do you take an old suburban neighborhood and make it a sought-after place to live for people? How do you maximize the benefit to your residents? Who are living in that old neighborhood those right. are the challenges we still have we've made a lot of progress right. but they're still there but is there one in particular when you're all there the whole city council is there one thing that you're all united on that is important that we must solve 
Is it housing? You know, our, our highest calling as public officials is public safety. Safety. So that's always it. Right. But there are hundreds of things you do about public safety. It's not just about cops. Right. In our case, it's about economic development as part right. of it. Picking up trash as part right, of it. Right, right. There's so many aspects. Uh, yeah. But it would have to be public safety. And we'll get a lot more into the city, but we always get to know our guests. It's just tradition. And, and the feedback that we get is that what people like because we get into sure. who they are, where they came from. So... Why don't we start off? Where were you born? Tell us about your parents and, and the young David Sander. So I was born in um, Edwardsville, Illinois, yeah. which is southern Illinois, not far from St. Louis. Okay. I was, um, many generations of my family have lived there. My ancestors carved the dirt into farms and businesses and, and success at a variety of levels. And so I was the benefit of many generations of my family having lived there before me. I went to a small Lutheran school, uh, the same school that my father went to, the same school that my grandparents went to, the same school that my great-grandparents probably wow. built. really? Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was that, that sort of an upbringing. So you felt enveloped by this community that supported you. Was it a big city, a town, a small town? That was in the town of Hamill, which probably yeah. had 400 people living in wow. it at the time. Edwardsville, which is where we you know, more closely identify, was probably 17,000 people yeah, yeah. had Southern Illinois University at in yeah. it. Okay. But this is, you know, 30 miles from downtown St. Louis. Yeah. So we also had, although I was growing up in this semi-rural environment with a, you know, small town, medium town, we had St. Louis and all the artistic benefits and, right. and access to St. Louis just right, 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 right there. Right. So I really view that as like an idyllic childhood. Yeah. My mom was a teacher. Yeah. My dad was an accountant. Yeah. My grandfathers were farmers and business people. Um, and, you it went, was, and you went to high school? In, I went to high school in Edwardsville as well. I went to a Metro East Lutheran High School. So today you're a very accomplished person, and we're going to get into that. But back then, how was a young David? How was <laughs> high school? Were uh, you a good student? Did you, you like school? Young David wanted to be a, a, a veterinarian because uh, I loved animals. Yeah. I had farm animals around. You know, we lived on yeah, yeah, three too, acres yeah. where I grew up. And so I wanted to be a veterinarian, and then that sort of you know, piqued my love for science. And I thought, you know, uh, astronaut sounds like a good deal. I should be an astronaut. So wow. I focused on that for a while. Found a book in fifth grade that said... Like an astronaut that goes to space? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I thought I could be an astronaut. And I, I knew that I had to be a fighter pilot first to right. become an astronaut. That's what you had to do right. basically then. And I found this book, and I think it was fourth grade or fifth grade, in the library. And it said fighter pilots can't be more than five feet, ten inches tall. No one in my family, my you know, the women in my family are about that. Right, right. <laughs> there was so no you way were, you I was were too tall. I was never going to be that short. Some dread disease would have to strike me wow. for me not to exceed that. So my my dream was crushed, right? So right. I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a physician. And I basically went off to college thinking I'll be a physician and a and a researcher. So a doctor of medicine, yeah, yeah, an MD. And where did you go to college? St. Louis University, yeah. which was there and handy and had a great Jesuit tradition. I was uh, got an early admission to medical school while I was there, and after I did that, I started doing some research. I was a physics major. I started doing some research in labs and realized that's a lot more interesting than all the time I was spending in operating rooms and emergency rooms uh, treating patients. You know, as a young medical student in training, basically. So, where does someone who grows up in a town of 400 people get this this thing to be a doctor? There's a lot of education in my family, Yeah, a lot of um, aspiration, a lot of expectation. I used to tell people, you know, at our kitchen table, and this, this will feed into my story here later, in my kitchen table, we were probably talking more about graduate school 
than we were about where are you going to go to high school or college. So your parents were an influence. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, my dad was, a, everyone I just mentioned, my grandparents, they were all upstanding pillars of the, of the community. Wow. And how was college? Did you like college? I did. Yeah. Loved, loved college. Yeah. Um, I ended up basically studying all the sciences I could. But at a Jesuit university, you also have to take a very large number of core courses. So I would study, you know, philosophy, theology, language. So you enjoyed arts. studying? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I've always been incredibly curious about yeah. things. I was a little kid yeah. who always got in trouble for keeping my light on in the middle of the night reading books. I was a little kid who, like, read every book in the classroom library. Wow. And then, so out of college, you now graduated with what? Um biology and physics yeah and what was your first job what did you want to do i decided i needed to go to graduate school and get that research credential i needed a so PhD. more school you more school yeah. so i had to choose between a couple of schools i wasn't very focused exactly on on what i would study so i needed an interdisciplinary program in the sciences and tulane university in new orleans offered one and they offered me a lot of money to go there so i went so i went to tulane and eventually got a phd but along the way, I did some pretty remarkable things at Tulane. I uh, and I, I really, I really am. I think benefited the rest of my life from those unique experiences. I mean, New Orleans is a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Everybody you know has to visit you when you live in yeah, New Orleans. Yeah. But I had great mentors. You know, my my PhD thesis advisor Bob Gary, famous virologist. Uh, was, I was honored to be able to work in his lab, work on viruses and virology. But he gave me the freedom to do other things. So I ended up being president of the Graduate School Student Association while I was there. I won a seat on Tulane's Board of Administrators, so the governing board. I knew the university president, deans. And how old were you there? 21. Wow. 22. Okay. Yeah. He also gave me time to venture into something we called the World Wide Web. Which I think what Netscape came out as a browser in 1991. Well, I think. Al Gore invented it, right? Oh yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by 1993, I had created what became like the touchstone site for virology on the internet. It was the first one that sort of brought all the virology information together in one site, one spot. Now there wasn't that much of it at the time; it wasn't that hard, but it made me somewhat famous, and it really opened my eyes what was going on, you know, in the world. Wow. I remember going to a scientific meeting with my boss, Bob Gary. He was the famous guy. We're walking down a hallway, and people would normally come up and talk to him. And he noticed people were coming up and talking to me because they'd see my name, and then they'd be, he's the guy with that virology website, right? And so suddenly he sort of looked at me with different eyes and said, you know, you've got to pursue that. And so that then plays out in my story. And did this website pick up steam? It did, yeah. So like the Facebook of virology? Basically. Yeah. Yeah, and I ran that website until about, well, it was Googled in uh, 2005 or so. Wow. Okay. Google came along and just and sort just of, you know, outdid it. any of those old right. indexed, curated They just took it or they? Website. They, they just made it uh, unnecessary. They took away my advertising base. They, you know, were able to index things way faster than any human could. So we'll get into how you ended up here, but what was between... Uh, New Orleans and here did you did you do anything so I finished my dissertation you know published published research won some awards um, met my wife to be she was a, a, a dermatologist in training there while I was getting my PhD learned how to sail in New Orleans great all sorts of adventures 
But the key thing was something I referred to earlier. I met the university president when I was graduating or about to graduate. He said, you know, you, there's something you need to look at and it's uh, called a Congressional Science Fellowship. He said, you need to apply for that because you've got the right skill set. And what I didn't realize at the time was what he had recognized, he was an economist. He'd recognized that I was a scientist who could talk and that that had value. And he thought that I had some leadership vision that I ought to contribute back to science. So he said, you need to apply for this thing. Normally they gave it to mid-career academics, so you'd be, you know, 40, 50, something, and be awarded one, you'd go to Congress for a year, advise them on science, and go back to your job. I was just coming out of graduate school. So it was sort of a long shot, but I ended up winning that fellowship, and then I spent two years in Washington being a congressional science fellow. And, and working for someone? So you're, you're accepted as a fellow, and then you have to negotiate with a member of Congress to work in their office. Oh, okay. So I chose a guy from Illinois, John Porter, Representative okay. John Porter, who chaired the Appropriations Committee, the Money Spending Committee, yeah. for Health and Human Services. He covered all the biomedical research. And you worked for him? CDC. I worked for him, yeah. and I worked on all of that funding okay. in addition to other stuff. So now I'm a young scientist with a bunch of Nobel laureates coming to lobby me for money. It was an amazing, amazing time. I met very famous people, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and I, for example, were on a regular basis. Yeah, he, wow. was, he was in that same role then as he was until recently. And so he and I would, uh, would work together, um, shaping NIH policy, reforming NIH policies, doubling the NIH budget over five years, what became five years. It yeah, was, I, I lived in D.C. and NIH I became familiar with. So did you work there at NIH? I worked on Capitol Hill oh, yeah. in the member's office. Uh, managing the bill and a bunch of other stuff. For example, he asked me to write, when I showed up, he said, uh, I want you to write a Social Security reform bill. I said, I don't even know what Social Security is. How am I supposed to do that? And he said, you're a scientist, figure it out. Figure it out. And you did? And I did, and we had a Social Security reform bill. And I wish we would have passed it. So would that, would that be fair to say that began your interest in politics? Yes. So that's a very interesting transition to back, back here in Rancho Cordova. So I spent the two years in Washington, Come back here, meet Roger Nilo, serve on the Planning Commission, Ranch Grove Incorporates. I run for city council, get elected, one of the first five in 2002. And my father calls me on election night and he says, uh, congratulations, David, you're the fourth generation. And uh, this is a seminal moment in my life. In my head, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And I was halfway through that thought of what are you talking about when I, like, a click happened, a bang, right? And I realized, wait a second, my dad's been on you know, school board and community leadership and fire board and my grandfather's school board, my great-grandfather, school board and community leadership. It's not that I was raised to do that. It was that it was like um, an expectation that you have to serve your community and that I had just follow, unknowingly had followed those footsteps into an elective office without even fully understanding that. And that has really sort of inspired what I want to build in Rancho Cordova and for others. That sense of a community that you not only receive stuff from, but you give to. Okay, and then, and here you landed in Rancho as a city council person. Yes. And still here. Yes. So give us some highlights of, of you as a council member that you're proud of, that you um, accomplished hmm. or you were responsible for accomplishing yeah it's it's uh, 
a little hard to say, you know, specifically I did something. Right. There are things I certainly initiated, shepherded. Yeah. So no, I'll, I mean, I'll I talk about some of those. And there's there's so, a lot of other yeah. efforts involved. But uh, it's a collective, but someone has to suggest it, right? Someone right. says, okay, I think we should do whatever. Sure. And then as a collective, you yay or nay. So what are some of the things that you did? You know, when I was first elected, I thought, what Rancho really needs is economic development. If we could just re- purpose Folsom Boulevard, for example, if right. you could bring business back, if you could be pro-business, because the county was terrible at that yeah. stuff. They were terrible at economic development, not great at planning. There were just so many deficits the county had that the city could do better. I thought economic development, that's the that's the way to go forward. Um, I came to find out a little bit of the story I told you earlier about suburbs over time and the challenges they face as populations move through and about and money moves elsewhere and jobs move elsewhere. So I think the Growing Strong Neighborhoods program that I basically conceived of and, and put forward is probably my greatest accomplishment on the city council. So let's, I have that here. So let's talk about that. So the Growing Strong Neighborhoods, you launched an initiative which was award-winning called Blight, Blight Buster. That's part of it. Which is a code enforcement sweeps. So how did you develop that? How did that come about? Does it continue today? And how does it benefit a city? Well, what I realized as a relatively new Californian is that this was a kind of messy place that we were living in. California, when I traveled around other other places in the in the business I was doing, always appeared to be the messiest. Like most roadside trash, most trash in the lawn, most unkempt housing, those sorts of things you wouldn't expect, I think, if you grew up here and lived here. And I was w wondering, you know, why is that the case and what effect does that have on my community? And so I, as a scientist, started looking at, well, what's the psychology of disorder? What's the psychology of crime? What makes people love where they live? And you figure out a bunch of things, you know, if you start lining up the dots. And basically, it comes down to order. If people are in an orderly environment, they behave order with order. If people are in a messy environment, they behave messily. They feel like relaxed or something. And we all know that, it's like intrinsic to us. But that plays out on the community stage. So we needed to find ways in Ranch Cordova to restart community um, involvement and activism by our population to get them to re-engage in the community and fall in love with their community and bet on the future of the community. We needed to make it a safe place for them to live. And we needed to be sure that there was economic opportunity for everybody. And so you start following those three lines of purpose you know, safe, clean, and options for everybody. And it leads you into Penelope, basically, <laughs> of programs and ideas. Blightbusters is one of those. Blightbusters is, let's go to every address in town. Uh, we do zone by zone and clean it up. You know, make them come up to the building code. We had so many absentee landlords. We had so wow. many slumlords to deal with. So you went house by house, virtually, not, not literally, but... In you sense. would do like one big day, and we have some old video that's really funny of one of the first ones we did. You, a couple hundred people gather out there. It's firefighters and code enforcement people and building inspectors and cops and animal control and uh, probation officers. I mean, all sorts of people literally going house by house and saying, that's a falling gutter. Those people have chickens living in the garage. This has been converted into an apartment. It's a single-family residence. You can't have two different residents. Fix it. It's like on and on and on. And you have to decide what level of stuff are you willing to clean up. You know, ironically, the very first thing we tackled under Growing Stone Neighborhoods was actually junk cars. It wasn't Blightbusters. It was the step before Blightbusters, junk cars. 
And I think we towed 1,400 cars or something like that. So these were cars that were abandoned or cars that were in people's driveways? that are ab ab Abandoned on the street. And on the street. Largely. There were probably some on private property yeah. as well. Junks on private property. But most of them were on the street. 1,400 in about 18 months. You know how many the county had towed in the year before? Four. Yeah. Four? We found 1,400. They managed to tow four. That was the difference between county administration and a local government that actually was involved, cared about the details. So how do you, now I've always wondered, how do you sit there as a city council, as a, as a collective, how do you communicate that to the, to the citizenry? Like, you know, this is what we're gonna do. How do you communicate it without them saying, well, who are you? Like, right. You know, how do you do that? It's very difficult. Yeah. And it takes a great deal of time. You know, city council is a part-time job, but in reality, it's a full-time. Yeah. It's a full-time job. Everything in your life impacts that somehow. And I think each of us has to do our best as local government officials to get out and interact with as many different organizations and people and neighborhoods and groups as we possibly can. We also have to have very good people at City Hall in communications. And you have to have great management. And but then we were, do you have to in, then involve the police as well to enforce if yes, people? Yes, yeah. in some cases. Yeah. You mean our, our job when you talk about blightbusters and those sort of code enforcement cleanups is not to – we don't make any money at that. We no. constantly lose money at that. Right. It's just the right. cost of doing business. We don't want people to pay fines. We just want them to clean to it, it up. Yeah. Because if they clean it up, what happens if we, like, focus really on one junk house, one absentee landlord that let their property fail – if we clean that up, what we notice in the neighborhood is all these other people start Do cleaning it. things yeah. up, and we haven't said a word to them. Did you have to take homes under eminent domain? Not very often, no. but in some cases we have. We had a, just a handful of houses that had yeah. become like grow houses with marijuana that we ended up owning. Um, but that, that is not so common. But we had a huge battle with slumlords in yeah. Ranch Cadova in the apartment industry. Wow. Yes. And that's, that actually, maybe I'll tell you that story, Charles, because that's sort of illustrative. We had a, our first city manager was Ted Gabler. He was a very yeah. famous guy. Yeah. Wrote Reinventing Government. We were very lucky to get him. He set our city on a course uh, of management that is different from any other normal normal local government. So we're innovative, and we like to be involved in things, but not do things. We like to engage our citizens to do things, private sector to do things. Find the expert in the yellow pages who does it. Influence them to do it in your community. It's that sort of approach. So. When we had to deal with apartment owners, we engaged the Apartment Owners Association because what we needed was the ability to inspect all the units and be sure everything was up to code and everyone was living in safe conditions. And we knew they weren't from previous work. So we went to them and said, why don't you write the ordinance that lets us sort out the good and the bad apartment owners? And they did. They had defeated four or five previous efforts to do apartment inspections in the region. We were the first to get through because we chose to work with them. We just had the blinders off. We had great leadership we were well networked and we worked with them to get it done and we turned so many apartments around in ranch cordova it was astonishing right slumlords i think are, are terrible i i agree i i haven't experienced them myself but i certainly know what they are and i know people who have suffered from slumlords how do you force me i have a house and i'm a slumlord how do you force <laughs> me to fix it Depends how wily you are. <laughs> yeah. And how long does it take? Um, it can take a while, yeah. depending on how wily you are. Right. Because there are various roadblocks you can throw up at one time or another, you know, claim insolvency or have a residency issue, all sorts of things, you know, uh, a wily slumlord can do. 
but we have done a series of steps. That inspection ordinance was certainly one of them. Um, we also have property maintenance ordinance that we passed that didn't really exist before. We have tools like we do an, act, uh, an administrative citation in the city of Rancho Dovis. So rather than going to court, we basically hold a little court at City Hall, and we can do that. You know, we can call a court and have it in a day. Wow. We have to do notices and get everything And you have to show up? Yeah. If you're the, the defendant, so That's right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you get, you know, probably 30 days notice or okay. But if we tried to do that in the regular court system, it could be six or nine months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So we've done a, probably a dozen little steps like wow. that to facilitate our ability to clean things up. Okay. Well, listen, it's a good job because uh, I don't see problems here. Or Nothing like we used to. No. I, I now I give talks to city employees about, you know, this is why we're doing Growing Star Neighborhoods. And I show them the old photos of the houses we used to have, and they're shocked. Yeah. And is it still Blightbuster? Is there a form of it still around yes. today? Now it is sort of a systematic effort by code enforcement staff. I think it's on about a two-year cycle. They go through and they sort of sweep every neighborhood. And then if I'm a resident and the next door is, you know, needs Blightbuster action... I can call the city, and is action taken? You can, and you should, and yes, it is. Action will be taken. Yeah, it can be hard to see, depending on you know what the what the situation is that has right. caused it, because we don't come in like a hammer and say you will do this. Right. We will even say, oh, we understand you can't afford to fix this thing right. that needs to be fixed, and right. you're a senior citizen on limited right. income. Right. Here's a volunteer program that can help you. Right. Here's right. a donor that can help so you. So you help them fix the situation. Yes. The yeah. goal is just fix it. Yeah. Not so much. Who does it? <laughs> yeah. So every city, more and more, has a growing issue of unhoused and homelessness. Um, and it affects, obviously, I mean, go to downtown Sacramento and you see it. Does the Growing Strong Neighborhoods Initiative, does that help with the homeless issues? And how does the city deal with unhoused issues here? Boy, that's a real challenge. That's probably our state's greatest challenge. Right. I asked Chief um, Luke. Mm -hmm. the biggest problem and he said it was the unhoused yeah i would yeah i would put that up there. i would put it in the public safety area yeah because rightly or wrongly people feel very uncomfortable around the homeless most people yeah um you know i i have a balance of i think compassion and i think that we as a state need to do more on the enforcement side which is what differentiates us from say florida texas louisiana and the other warm states people yeah. often think oh it's our weather that does this right. it's not really the weather no it's that we're extremely permissive. Um, and while we offer some support, not nearly enough, we're very permissive. And those states tend to offer a more balanced approach. So in Rancho Nova, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be relatively firm. Growing Star Neighborhoods is cleaning things up, so the homeless may not feel as comfortable here as they would in a messier location. But we also have a staff and facilities and uh, a structure working on these issues that other jurisdictions don't have. So we have homeless navigators that yeah. help the homeless find the programs right. that are available to yeah. them. We have a special police unit that yeah. does nothing but deal with the homeless. Right. We have extra probation officers to deal with people who are on probation living in Ranch Cordova. So if you are a probationer and you're living here, you know you're going to be, you know, your door's gonna get knocked on. Other places in the county, not necessarily so, but Ranch Cordova has that. We have a local um, prosecuting attorney that works basically with us here in Rancho Cordova. And we have great volunteer organizations like Heart and others that house, house the homeless and helpless transition. So our numbers have actually gone down yeah. with regard to the homeless while the rest of the region right. has gone up. Yeah, I mean, you don't see the issues in this city. I mean, if you cross to the other side, 
you see it right there on the tracks. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, is it because you just don't allow it? So if a camp opens, you kick them off? Or is it because you go and you help them and if take it's a, them off the streets? But that's a great question. You know, if it's a safety issue, there would be some version of you you can't stay here. This yeah. is not safe right. for you or others. Right. So we definitely intervene there. I'm not sure other local governments take no. that step. But we will, you know, investigate it, figure it out. We will take that step. But we also offer more on the help side. And I would suggest probably in some cases we might be annoyingly helpful. Yeah. We offer a lot of help, and they might get tired of the offer. Because homelessness, I mean, that's an issue for me. It's, a, it's an issue I, I care about. You can become homeless very quickly these yes, days. You know? And I difficult. think the general opinion is if you're homeless, if you see someone, oh, well, they're on drugs or they're mentally ill. And that's not the case. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes if someone is down on their luck, the city comes along and says, off you go, without asking you know, why are you here? Right. There's, well, there's multiple levels of homelessness. There's yeah. invisible homelessness where people are living with friends and really or, they don't have a cause. Or, exactly. Yeah. And we, yeah. had a, we had a foster son yeah. in my family from that sort of a situation. Uh, so I, I understand that. There's also a level of, um, this is not very politically popular, but willful homelessness. These are the, the hobos, yeah. the, you know, no, from no, old. No. People Without who just, a doubt, yeah. Yeah, they There's don't like society. Be homeless. Yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. like walls. Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to glorify them in a way, yeah. right? I mean, there's music. I just think it just it. seems it just seems to be getting worse. Yes. Especially in the bigger cities, and it just doesn't seem to. Nobody seems to care. And the category I haven't covered yet is the chronically homeless. Now that's who we most often see, right? If you or I are driving around somewhere and you see homeless, it's most often the chronically homeless. Yeah. So that means you've been on the street a year or more. Yeah. In some cases, we have people who've been you know oh, 10, yeah. 15 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. No, no question. And if we survey those folks in Ranch Cordova, and this has been validated in Los Angeles and other counties. You see that you know maybe 70% of those have a mental health issue. Probably 60% of those have a an addiction issue, right. and that can be overlapping. It can be addiction to treat the right. mental illness. And a very small number are that, that hobo group I mentioned, or someone else who's right. doing it for, for the fun of it, I suppose. But the problem we have in California is that we don't deal with the mental health issue, and we don't deal with the addiction issue. Other states are way ahead of us, yeah. and our state and our county governments have not dealt with it. And it puts cities like Rancho Cordova and others in this incredibly difficult place. Because we don't control social services, we right. don't do we don't do any of that. We don't do health services. We don't do mental health. We don't do job training. We don't house people like that. So we do the things we can, like with the navigators. We've built a lot of housing at Mather uh, for veterans, homeless yep. veterans yep. specifically. We ha we host the county's largest homeless treatment program, also at Mather. So we do a lot in that space. But in reality, we're not funded for it. We're not empowered to do it. We're just, You're just trying it. to do it, and, yeah. and we're relatively successful at it when you compare us to other jurisdictions. But the problem is gigantic still. And we have suffered, you know, in this past year, we have had two murders, two murders involving homeless folks who have murdered innocent citizens. And that is really not tolerable. No. While we're on the subject of crime, and when, I, when we first opened here three years ago, um, I would say to people in the Sacramento area, oh, yeah, we're going to be in Rancho. I'm going to live there. And they go, what? Rancho? Why on earth would you move to Rancho? It's, it's dangerous. 
you'll get shot, there's crime. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, you know what, I haven't seen that. But So I kept an open mind. And that is the exact opposite. It's not that at all. It's a safe city. Um, I know the police here. Why do you think people have, and today they still have that opinion, that Rancho Cordova is a dangerous city, which it is not. Why is that? It's a remnant. You've been, you've been here a long time. Yes. So. And this is a big issue. When we have that first city council together, and you know Dave Roberts, our first mayor, and really our champion of incorporation in so many ways, he really suffered you know, with that image issue that we had. And so when you sat that first city council down, the five of us, and said, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to accomplish? Image was on that list. Wow. We must address image. That sounds a little odd from a city. Right. But you just described why. Right. Very nicely. So I think that Rancho Nova did suffer, you know, in the 1990s a lot when right. Aerojet downsized, even before that Aerojet downsized from 23,000 employees to, you know, 2,300 or something. Right. The Air Force, 12,000 jobs just up and left. Right. All of these apartments, tens of thousands of apartment units suddenly vacated. There right. weren't airmen living them in right. them anymore. Those were huge economic hits. At the same time that the county was denying this community the ability to naturally grow, it favored other areas. And the police in those days was the sheriff's? Just the sheriff. No, it was in Sacramento. It was the sheriff's yep. office. Sheriff's yeah. department. Okay. And that Sacramento County was trying to act like a municipal government, which right. they're not. No county is ever successful being a municipality. It's a terrible situation, actually, for people to live under a county in California that's trying to be a municipality. They just can't manage it. And this image problem is uh, exemplar of that. So there was yeah. a big debate about strip clubs in the county. Legally, they had to allow them somewhere. So where do they put them? Literally, let's dump them in Rancho Cordova because that's not such a nice and How community. many there strip clubs here? There were three. Three? That remain. There's one now? Uh, there, I think there's one on Sunrise. Is that yeah, a there's one club? visible yeah. there. Yeah. And <laughs> one of our county supervisors at the time, this is before I lived here, was sort of famously quoted saying, well, of course I'd vote to put it there. It's not my district. So that has really left a chip on the shoulder of a lot of Ranch Cadovans, and it also gave us a terrible reputation in the region. Not just that, right, right, but right. lots of things like that, you know, just dump it in Rancho Cordova. No, I think this image that it's crime infested here is a, it's bad because that's the only thing for me that's a blight because yeah. it is not true. That's not true. And I'm fortunate to have, you know, I've met the police here, I know the chief and officers here, and they're very, very passionate about policing here. Right. And they handpick their officers here. And, and the other thing is no marijuana stores here, right? No. Marijuana's not, that's a city council thing? It is. So. You read in some cities that they bring in marijuana and the money comes in. That doesn't matter. It's, well, um, we've had the opposite. We have, we've barred marijuana and the money has come in. Because, for example, West Sacramento, when that was happening just a few years ago, a whole bunch of their industrial space started getting leased by these marijuana-related businesses. The, I will say, legitimate businesses that surrounded them didn't really want to be next to a marijuana business right. because of all the stuff that can no, happen. No, I mean, and, I don't think I'd be very happy. Next and does tomorrow. happen. And so they fled. Guess where they fled to? Rancho Cordova. We went from having a nice functional freedom of operation of, you know, uh, industrial space to none because of that influx. So we got boosted by that uh, rush to marijuana in this state, which I think is very poorly designed yeah. and executed without having any of the downside. And one last question on that. And I asked um, the current city manager now, uh, Micah, when he was the deputy city manager, why there's I drive down Folsom Boulevard and it's liquor store, liquor store, liquor store, liquor store. Every other store is a liquor store. What's with the liquor stores here? 
Why so many? Business follows their clientele. Yeah. You know, so Folsom Boulevard used to be Highway 50. That was the route to Tahoe. So it was zoned for hotels and quick stop stores and car repairs and gasoline and tire fixes, all those sorts of automotive uses and travel uses. When Highway 50 was actually built and it took it all, that activity off of Folsom Boulevard, no one went back and fixed the zoning, particularly in the county, they wouldn't do anything that innovative. They just left it that yeah. way. And as the population got poorer, um, with people moving on to neighbor, neighboring jurisdictions and the big employment, you know, Air Force and, and Aerojet downsizing, those became the sort of businesses that served the residents who were most likely to live there. So there's yeah. too much liquor store, too much auto repair, right. too many smoke shops. These are all the things we saw right. when we when we. But first are you working on that? So if I want to open a liquor store in Folsom, am I going to be allowed to? Uh, no. No, good. Most yeah. likely, no. Right. There are... There's probably room for an exception in there, but the way California regulates, you know, where liquor stores open, some of them happen without any control by city government, but I don't think anyone has come to us and proposed one and actually right. gotten um, it through. And so by the way, listen, there's nothing wrong with liquor stores. It just, when you have them next to each other, it just makes it look like we're in right. a town of, like a wild west town where yeah. everybody wants the bourbon. So since we've become a city, we have torn down, I've lost track, probably 14 uh, buildings that were used for housing of one type or another, including some sort of famous and very poorly kept on Folsom Boulevard. We've torn down liquor stores. We've torn down four hotels. I have. Uh, we have a whole generation of demolition that we did in those uh, in those early years, and we're still about it. Yeah. So you will continue to see our numbers of liquor stores decline. Good. Yeah. You will see that we're not opening any of these uh, sort of cash businesses, right. check cashing. Right, right. Those are banned. Uh, we don't allow more smoke shops or, yeah, or any good. smoke shops. Yeah, smoke shop. No marijuana And I'm glad businesses. there's no marijuana shops, actually. I'm, yeah, in Sacramento, you see them on every corner. Yeah. But that's good. Yeah, it's been, I, you know, I serve in leadership positions in the League of Cities, and there's a lot of issues regarding yeah, that. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that because that's something I'm interested in. But let's get positive now, and let's talk about youth sports. Oh, my goodness. So I have read, and it's well documented, that you're very passionate about youth sports. So let me ask you, why do you think sports are so important to youth and how does the city today further youth sports? Sure. And last question, what is the, in your opinion, what is the benefit of sports to young people? So this, this journey I've been on, this process I've been on of trying to clean up and fix Rancho Cordova and, you know, really improve the quality of life for everyone who lives here. Public safety was probably calling number one. We've just spent a bunch of time calling about right. that. We went from being in an unsafe sort of neighborhood, right. uh, or at least not the most unsafe, but bordering. That's why we have the reputation. Now we're one of the safest communities Very much so. in the yeah. county and the region. Yeah. You can put our numbers up against just about right. anyone and, and say and, you're yeah. better off in Rancho Cordova. Absolutely. So that, in a way, and the success of Growing Star Neighborhoods, that, in a way, is underhand. The next level of how do you engage your citizens sort of rose up, you know, is this is the next big, big issue now that you've got public safety sort of under control. And so I was looking for what is a cost-effective mechanism to engage kids who might come from a poor background and are going to Cordova High or middle schools or elementary schools. How do you engage them when so many of them come from, too many of them, come from homes that are broken or don't have a dad or don't have a mom or they've had homeless, you know, backgrounds. When they're socioeconomically injured, what do you do? And we've done all sorts of looks at how do we support schools, how do we engage kids in more activities. We funded field trips. 
and I've never really been a sports guy. I don't choose to watch sports in my free time, not that I have any, um, but that's, that's not my thing. I was an athlete, but not a great one. So that, that's not a driving force for me. But what I realized was we have all of these organizations out there in our community that are dedicated to providing these opportunities for kids so the kids can develop regardless of where they come from, regardless of their skill level, frankly. And we know them as, you know, Little League and Girls Softball and Soccer. Those are volunteer organizations. The city doesn't have to create it or fund it or pay for it. They can just go do it. And the city's mantra with, you know, Ted's leadership and how, and how we began was we don't have to do those things. But let's facilitate them. Let's let's knock down the barriers to their them being really successful. So we started looking around saying, what's holding them back? So I created the Ranch Cordova Athletic Association right. and I brought all those youth leader groups together. And we spent a couple of years with, you know, wrestling matches between girls softball and little league, just typical, you know, turf battle kind of stuff. <laughs> but in the end, we had a group we have a group of these executives of these uh, youth programs working together in combination with our school district to try to provide more opportunities for kids. And this became the biggest bang for the buck I could see for our kids. And so we are still journeying, journeying down that path. We also have another handicap in Ranch Cordova that we're a city and we do not have control of our own parks. And so as a result, we have a park district that was formed in the 1950s, I think, that's still there. And in almost every other case in California, a city would control its own parks so it can deal with recreation issues safety issues, civic engagement issues around those parks. We don't have that. And so this is sort of a workaround of that situation with the, with the park district being a separate entity. But we're able to partner with schools and provide more opportunities in schools for athletes, things that they would have in Folsom that they don't necessarily have in Ranch Cordova. And we just try to level it up. If it's available in another community at this level, we want to exceed that. Our standard in Ranch Cordova in many of these cases is good enough isn't. Great is what we're aiming for. Just being good enough, we don't want to hear those words. And here in this city, we have a great program, which is the Community Enhancement Fund, mm -hmm. which is Measure H, I believe. Yes. Um, and that money is used to further the arts, but it's also used to further sports. Yes. Because I see every year I see the awards and, and a, a chunk of money goes to help either the schools or the, the private groups, as you say. Are you personally involved with any youth sports, coaching, et cetera? Or are you I, have, I have been, yeah. yes. Um, my son played Little League. That would be my favorite sport, baseball. Right. He didn't really like it, and he didn't no. stay with it that long. Right. I helped coach. I don't even know if I was an official right, right, coach right. or not. So I did a little bit there. He attended St. John Vianney uh -huh. Elementary School, yeah. and somewhere along the line there, my wife sort of signed me up to be a coach. Now, my father had been such a great coach. I never thought it would be possible that I could do that because that was my model. Right. I thought, I'm never going to have that level of insider ability, so I better not do this. Right. But as I looked around, I realized, well, maybe I should. And so I did, and that has become a very rewarding part of my life. So right. I've coached basketball. There. But with the community enhancement, do you have any sort of, and you, obviously you're not going to tell me if you do, but do you have favorites? I'll ask you anyway. Favorite groups that, that you help? Um, or more worthwhile? Let's not call it favorite, yeah, but more worthwhile. I'd, I'd almost use the word needy, needy in, in a okay. way. Needy. For example, our girls softball program was really successful yeah. in Rancho Cordova, but their facilities were not so great. They had to rely on their own volunteer effort. Right. 
and it was at the Mills Middle School campus. Yeah. And, you know, school district was cooperative, but that's not their business. They're not in the girls' softball business. But the girls' softball leadership was. So we were, I was able to actually craft a partnership with a school district bond measure that promised some dollars towards rehabbing those girls' softball fields. And that's the softball field. And that? that's the complex yeah. we opened just a couple yeah, of years yeah, ago. Yeah. And so now it's probably the nicest in Northern California. Yeah, yeah. No, we filmed it, yeah. Yeah, it for that nice. purpose. We have Little League that we're actually working on before that. Um, actually, that was my original deal with the school district. Let's fund this Little League because they were the right. largest sport that needed something. But we have also supported, you know, soccer. We've tried to start rugby. We've had some difficulty trying to start rugby. We have supported uh, sports at Cordova High School with direct facility money there. So it's now, pretty much across the board just based on need and opportunity. Now, can any correlation be drawn that the city is supportive of youth sports, led, you know, spearheaded in part by you or mainly by you, that Cordova High has such a reputation for sports because they really do. Right. In this podcast, we have a, a guest host, Mike Miranda. You yes, know yes. Yeah. And um, he said to me one day, you know, you should interview a lot of these sports people because we have such a history. And now me interviewing sports is not good. <laughs> so I said to him, well, why don't you sit in as the guest host? And we've done two or three now. Good. And Guy Anderson is our next one. Who do you, I don't know if you know Guy Oh, Anderson. yeah. 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 Um, do you think it's because of that that Cordova has that sports history and then you have the Roger Cordova Sports Hall of Fame right right yeah is that due to the support of the city or do you think it's just a natural thing I think it pre-existed yeah you know I'm some I, people say it was because of the F Air Force Base yeah I think that was definitely yeah. a benefit that yeah. that existed um, but we were the place to live in the 1960s and, yeah and there was recently not that long ago in the Sacramento Bee they did sort of an open-ended question of which high school has the greatest sports reputation or history in right. the Sacramento region? And apparently the number one response was Folsom because their football team has had a you know successful run the last decade. And the the uh, writer there said, oh, please, you know, you got to take Jesuit off the table because they've got national championships that no one else ever has. So you take them off the table as a private school. Then it's clearly Cordova. There's yeah. no one that measures up to no, Cordova's no. level of yeah. success. And RCAA, the organization, you know, I mentioned earlier, yeah. founded that Hall of Fame with Guy Anderson's sort of insistence as one of our board members. Wow. And yeah. so that's why we have that Hall of Fame. And there's just so much wealth there. But I want to, the other benefit of that, having that Hall of Fame, is having current kids at Cordova whose view of the world is maybe kind of narrow because of where they're coming from, yeah. point to all that success that we've documented there in that Hall of Fame and say, that can be you. And then I want to be sure we knock down any barrier to that kid being able to pursue all of those options. So, you know, a transportation fee or something they have to pay or not having the right shoes or whatever it is, I want to knock that down and yeah. give every kid a chance and that's, to play. I've seen that with the community enhancement where uniforms are bought, shoes are bought, et cetera. So I was told that all city council people, you're very um, effective and um, effective uh, public um, communications team that you have your one of your responsibilities a council um, member and vice mayor is transportation mm -hmm. so let's talk transportation I you've been involved in a lot of transportation issues committees organizations both locally and statewide so tell me what what is a, the issue of transportation from your point of view it's everything yeah. Every, everything the way we move the infrastructure, the roads, the rails, 
the bus lines, the airports, the ports. Um, transportation right. is, is very broad. So moving humans. Yes. Yeah. And goods, services. Yeah. Even wires, right? So what are some of the some of the committees and organizations that you've been involved in? More outside of Rancho. Um, so I was statewide. the I was the first Rancho Cordovan to chair a regional body when I was elected chair of the regional transit board. So that ran, you know, trains and buses in the right. Sacramento region. I've since served on SACOG, which is the regional uh, organization that f that transfers federal funding for transportation to local jurisdictions. So it's a pass-through agency, but very influential in terms of transportation in the region. I've served on a, a statewide committee for transportation, and I've served on a national committee for transportation funding, advising the federal government on changes and options in funding transportation. And then what are your responsibilities in the city with transportation? So I've served on those boards and represented us there, also on the connector JPA board right. and on a, on a connector, or on a JPA board that deals with the railway, actually running right by us here, right, right. all the way up to Placerville. Yeah. So, and I've been on an airport planning commission even before I was, uh, we had a city. So I do have this sort of diverse background transportation. Right. Never intended to get, no. <laughs> just sort of accidentally came along. But the benefit to Ranch Cordova, I think, has been that um, we have been served by some very able people. You know, Cyrus Abhar, our former city manager, was our public works director. Um, we have really benefited from great leadership in that area. And we are ahead of the curve in a lot of cases. We were offering, for example, point-to-point -point sort of service for transit for a, a commuter or for a small bus around Ranch Cordova when regional transit really could not get that level of service done in their community. And um, you were appointed to the board of directors of the National League of Cities. Um, what was your involvement or what is your involvement with that? I believe you are likely to be the president in 2024. I will be, yes. So let's, what is, for anybody who doesn't know, tell us the the pitch of the National League of Cities. What is that? So the National League of Cities is the organization of 19,000 cities, towns, and villages around the United States. And we are their voice in Washington, D.C. And we also provide education and support so that they can be the best they can be for their home community. And when you're the president, how will Cord the Rancho Cordova benefit from getting you to sit right there in the front row of national policy up close, and how will it help us and our interests? So I've served, I've served on the board of the National League of Cities. I chaired their Transportation Policy Committee. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of lobbying, um, some testifying on those issues. And I think the greatest benefit to Ranch Cordova is that I'm able now, in this position as now I'm first vice president, next year I'll be president of the National League of Cities, but I'm able to help shape the voice of those 19,000 cities and towns towards communities like ours, which are not uncommon. And I would imagine you meet a lot of people in your position. A right? lot. Mayors and... A lot, yeah, a lot of travel, a lot of national leaders, regional leaders, state you leaders. you travel around with it? There will be some demand yeah. on me for travel, yeah. yeah, whether it's testifying in front of Congress or visiting states, uh, giving a lot of speeches. And now there's another one, the National Civic League, which <laughs> yes. we, um, Rancho Cordova, the All-America City. Yes. Twice. National um, Civic League is an old organization. Yeah. It was formed in the uh, in the 1800s by Teddy Roosevelt, right. Louis Brandeis, uh, a bunch of other luminaries. And their goal was to reform the way cities run because cities back then were being run by almost like mobs, right? It, it was like a cabal of people would get together and run a city for their own benefit. Tammany Hall would probably be the, 
the classic example. And so they wanted, they were reform-minded, and they wanted professional government instead of people getting elected mayor and then appointing all of their friends to all the jobs, whether they could do it or not. And they were very successful at that. It's a very historic organization. When I was asked to join their board, I requested that, well, I have to sit in the Teddy Roosevelt chair if I do that, because he's a, he's right. a hero of mine. Right. But um, I was able to be board chair there, and along the way, before, before that, being even asked to join the board, Rancher Level 1, All-America City status, right. which is, um, Ted Gabler referred to that as the Nobel Prize of Civic uh, Accomplishment. Right. So that was quite something for a city of, what were we at that time, eight years old. Right. To, so briefly, uh, to what, are the, what is the criteria to get All-American City? Well, it's really Just interesting. Briefly. A lot of awards would be given for, boy, you have a really great Department of Transportation. You have a really great Police Department. Look at that economic development. This is not that. No. This is how well do you engage your citizens to get something done. Okay. So it falls directly in the line of what Rancho Dova was trying to do from day one. With Ted's leadership and with our council's guidance of we did not want to be an ordinary city. We wanted to be an extraordinary city that engaged its residents and tapped their passions to accomplish things in our community. So if you love dogs and you love dog walking, why would the city, this is a little silly, but why would the city pay for a dog walking service? Why don't we just help you get word out to your neighbors that you want to walk their dogs? Right. Right. It would make, we would spend tons of money. We wouldn't do it well as a government. But if we help that guy walk, you know, walk his dogs and neighborhood dogs, that's a community service. Now all those neighbors know each other. The dogs are getting walked or whatever. You can apply that to any number of things, and that's what the All-America City Award is about. How well does government actually engage with citizens to accomplish okay. things they want done? So twice here, right? Twice we've won. Uh, is, is there going to be a third? I would imagine so. Yeah. Typically, the cities that you know are successful doing this like to sort of test themselves you know, every decade or so. And see, hey, do we still got it? <laughs> Are we still at the cutting edge? And how is it judged? Who says, Roger Cordova, you're an all-American city? They bring a, a panel of people from around the nation in. Some are city managers, some are mayors, some are consultants, some are uh, donors, some are from foundations, some are federal government so people. So they all come to the city? They all come to a central location. And you hold the, you do a paper screening first. Yeah. You know, they read your application. Right, right. They pick 20. 20 cities are chosen as finalists. You go there and 10 walk away being named All-America City. Wow. Yeah. And you basically have to put on like a little, in, in yeah. addition to your application, you have to put on like a little show yeah. and say, this is why we deserve to win right. this. And the funny thing is, in putting on that show, if you've engaged all those neighbors the way you're supposed to have, you have a great presentation. If you haven't, it's a bunch of government people right. standing up there talking. Right, right, right. And it sort of gives it so away. So you bring right? the real people. <laughs> you have yeah. to bring real people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about business in the city of Rancho Cordova. What is the business temperature of the city today? Oh, my. We are hot yeah. <laughs> right now. I now, knew you were going to say that. We have always, uh, since, since the 90s, we have benefited from a growing business environment. And we were very lucky to have some developers in the 90s look at the area around Mather Airport after the Air Force left and say, boy, that could be a new Silicon Valley. That's literally what they were thinking. Because look at all this open land. You're, you have great transportation options. There's an airport right here. You know, there's, there's rail. You're, people can afford to live here. You know, even then, 30 years ago, they were worried about the cost of living down in the Bay Area. Maybe we should develop this the way Silicon Valley should have been developed. And so they set out to do that. And the first thing they did was put enormous amounts of fiber optic cable in the ground. And back then, I don't think anyone actually understood why. Right. But as you go forward through economic history, that is now the critical feature. Yeah. 
Um, so we were home to a lot of internet-based businesses, everyday names that people would recognize. We were back office for a while. We were front office for some. Insurance companies found great homes here because they have a lot of data right. transmission. We're also flood safe, fire safe, earthquake safe. That's all a factor. And in California, that's yeah. pretty rare Yeah. to sort of have that trifecta. And then Solidime has just announced that it's going to make Rancho Cordova's new global headquarters. What yeah. is Solidime? Solidine is a maker of solid-state memory. Yeah. So the most common uh, application is probably SSD drives that you're seeing replace the old mechanical yeah. spinning drives. So those SSD drives are a, are a Solidine product. So it's exciting to have an organization This like is that. very yeah. exciting. So if you want to talk about us a few years ago, our big company was VSP, Vision Service Plan. Wonderful employer, won all sorts of national awards. They're the leading eye care yeah insurance providers still here yep. yeah absolutely still yep. here that was a big deal for us and all these other businesses wanted to be around vsp because they would relate to them in right. some way maybe they made eyewear or they right. designed it uh similarly we had delta dental and people wanted to be around delta dental well now solidine i think this is probably the biggest economic impact the sacramento region since intel decided to move and build a facility in folsom and where would they be Right, literally right across from City, City Hall. Hall. There's a very large business park, yeah. complex there. They have bought the entire thing, and they're going to make a lot of investments in our community. And other companies are already moving here to be near them. Wow. So the first phase, were, I think the latest number is about 2,000 jobs, the average salary of which is $175,000 or more. I mean, it's an enormous so it's going to bring more people economic impact. Yeah. Yes. I remember talking about that park across from City Hall when I first moved here, which was pre-pandemic. I would go to City Hall, and I would look in that park, and I'd say, wow, a lot of people work here. Mm -hmm. It was packed. You go there today, and there's a few cars, and that's because they're still working remotely, or is that because people moved out? A lot of people are working remotely, Yeah. and that is going to be a transition for Ranch yeah. Cordovo going forward. Right. We have the largest concentration of private sector jobs in Northern California, in Ranch Cordova, and we've probably held that title for 20 years. Because the figure is 65,000 people come in a day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a, those numbers are really messy because the yeah. state is supposed to keep track of them. They don't do a very good job of right. it. They're way out of date. But, yeah, that's our that's our best guess. So we're in the entertainment business. We run the film office. We have a theater. You know, we're in entertainment. Um, so for me, just as a, an average Joe, if, you, if I think to myself, 65,000 people come into the city every day, that's great. But then at 5 p.m., they all leave. Um, so is bringing activities to Rancho Cordova a, a factor for, Absolutely. for you guys, the city? So we get back to that image question we were talking yeah. about a minute ago. We need a nightlife in Ranch yeah. Cordova. We need a full-throated, full-voiced. theater, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. We need as many options as possible. We've chased movie theaters. We've chased bowling alleys. Those are very hard things to land, very difficult to do in our geography. But we are seeing a lot of success in the arts. I mean, you're here as part of that yeah. initiative. But we are continuing to invest in the arts. It's not just youth sports that right. add to our community, but it's other youth activities right. and and arts. Um, the... Mills, the, the new development across from the mm -hmm. Mac, what's going on with that? That seems to be everybody's, um, like Cyrus Abar, I said, what is it, one prop, which I'm going to ask you, what is one project that you're constantly thinking about? Without hesitation, it was that. Yeah. Is What is the issue there? So we mentioned Folsom Boulevard before and the need for remodel. And one of the amazing things we've done since becoming a city is 
physically remodel that entire boulevard from right. one end of the city to the other. Right. So whereas before you had 14 inches of asphalt and concrete and a barren uh, streetscape, now you have a median that's well planted, you have appropriate crossings, you have lights. It's a distinctive, attractive, right. safe uh, feature to our community, yeah. infrastructure. My favorite criticism um, from a resident was, you know that Folsom Boulevard, you guys just make it look like Disneyland there. It's so nice. So why are you doing that? And I thought, terrible. boy, yeah. if every day it could be someone right, saying right, my right. city is Disneyland, right. that would be a terrible because thing. Because to me, it's a great project. It's, it mean, is. It's right across from the station, the you know the transit. But that that Disneyland comment, if you look at it on the backside, we have not seen a lot of private sector involve, uh, investment along Folsom Boulevard. Yeah. We've done everything right with regard to fix the infrastructure, you know, the drainage, all sorts of things there. We've made a lot of investment, over $50 million of grant money we've brought in right. to work on Folsom Boulevard, but not a lot of private sector investment. And it's because no one really has the guts to go first. Right. That's one factor. So I'm not sure we need a movie theater like an AMC. I think what would be great here is an odd house movie theater. Mm -hmm. Because really, Sacramento has one, I guess, the Tau Theater. And, but I think a really nice art house movie theater, three or four screens, that all it does is show independent films. There is nothing like that in the region. Hmm. And I think that would attract a complete new um, clientele demographic of people. But anyway, that's just my opinion. That's a very interesting idea, you yeah. know, and, and we like to chase ideas like that because yeah. we're willing to take risks. I don't think an AMC, there's a lot of movie theaters. Plus movie theaters, you know, the traditional movie theaters, they're not doing too well. Exactly. But the smaller independent films, the art house films, as they call them, Palm Springs, which is where I live, they, um, they have a theater they're called the Camelot Theaters. It's three screens. They hold the film festival there, the International Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And all the independent art house films play there. And you go there, there's people there all the time. That's what I think the city needs. That's a wonderful art idea. Art house movie theater. So you have a very interesting um, thing. You're a virologist. So when someone <laughs> said, you know, David Sander is a virologist. And I'm thinking, wow, what is that? Well, it's obvious, right? Virologist. What is a virologist? A uh, scientist who studies viruses. Yeah. So I would imagine that in 2020, you became the man of the hour when the pandemic, would that be true that you were in demand? Is that your area of study, something like the pandemic viruses? Yeah, so my research uh, centered on autoimmune disease and retroviruses, a specific type of virus. HIV is a retrovirus, right. and that was when I was doing my right. uh, academic- Is that how you met Fauci? Scientific training, yes. Because he was very influential in the mm -hmm. HIV world right yeah and he was very happy to have me working on the you know, on the staff of that right. member of congress because we could speak virology right. to each other and that was a critical time for aids research but yeah when the when the pandemic happened it was very interesting when the when word of it got out i was actually at a board meeting of the national league of cities and so there we are in washington dc and leaders of all these cities are sitting around their representatives and there was a big agenda in front of us and they took the agenda and they put it aside and they said okay David, <laughs> we need to talk about viruses. And so I just, you know, talked for an hour and a half about viruses. And we didn't even know much about it at that point. You know, a lot of what I said at the time, I said, this is speculation. This is my best guess. But that process uh, then repeated itself yeah. for, you know, probably two years after that, where I was called on a lot. I did a lot of radio shows, um, interviews, 
spoke with a lot of news media on and off the record um, about that. Spoke right. with a lot of my colleagues around the country. In Rancho Cordova, we made a series of videos and podcasts yeah. and, and communications, doing our best to communicate. But I think I am the only elected virologist in the world. Which brings me to my next question. Did that, how did that benefit this city having a, maybe you were mayor, I think you were mayor. I was mayor pandemic. when that happened, yeah. yeah. Having the mayor being a virologist, did you bring that expertise and it helped us as a city? I think Would so, yeah. Fair? I mean, a lot of cities were getting tossed and turned about how do we deal with, right. you know, opening things or closing right. things or public events. Uh, our school district, for example, I, I set up a, a scenario in which I could consult with them and help them sort this out and our school district actually managed very well compared to other school districts in the state i think is partially in res as a result of that so while we're on the subject of fauci and this is completely off topic here but <laughs> what i i don't know him you know him and i always found him to be a very reasoned person when he spoke it was it made sense it, it, it just made complete sense why do you think that is like lock him up, put him in jail? I mean, what, is, what do you think that's about? Here's the single biggest thing. And and I, I, I could actually, I could do a whole podcast just on this topic. I think the single biggest thing is people expect scientists to know everything about a topic. You're an expert in viruses, so tell me all about the virus, all about this virus. Right. Well, I'm an expert in a different type of virus, right, really. Right. I know something about all of them, but I know way more about right, that right. one. So then... But even if I am fully informed in this one, I, I know what I know today, but if someone discovers something tomorrow, that's science. It's a constant progress, progression of knowledge. And I don't think the public really understands that that's what science is like. It's not like, uh, you know English, so you know the letters of the alphabet, right. and they never change. This is constantly changing. Right. Like day by day, study by study, event by event, our knowledge is changing. And so what you might say today is perfectly logical and makes sense, but three months from now, right. that was not of actually course. the I mean, best interpretation. But, I mean, that's now we have sense. more information. Yeah. But people would then compare three months ago and what you said to what you said right now and said, you lied to us. No, Yeah. that was the best estimation of what we knew at the time. And that changed over time. And it always will. It'll never be static. Well, I mean, from my opinion, I never, obviously, you, you knew Fauci, Dr. Fauci, you knew him during the, because he was the, the guy on the TV, mm -hmm. right? But then you got to know him, and when you realized his achievements over the years, especially with HIV, and I mean, it's staggering to me the way he was treated. He's a pretty amazing spokesperson yeah. for science. That's and, cool and a pretty you, amazing science, you knew scientific him and leader. Met him and, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, you serve on many boards and committees. I mean, there was too many for me to even list. I sure. would be here forever. How do you find the time to do all that? You know, when I was a little kid and uh, had that flashlight on in the bed, reading those books late at night, I somehow adjusted to not sleeping so much. Yeah. And that carried me very well, probably until I turned about 40. <laughs> yeah, but Dr. Sanders, sleeping is very... <laughs> it is. Good, it yeah. absolutely is. But I just had a habit. It really benefited me in graduate school. Yeah. You know, where five hours a night or three hours a night, I could just survive. So you must be very passionate about what you do because you don't... I mean, to serve on all these boards and to be so invested and to be... You must be a very passionate person, like care about making things better. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's probably an accurate description. So any aspirations for a higher office or are you happy here? I had those once. Yeah. 2008, I ran for the yeah, assembly. I that, yeah. 
Um, and you were very well endorsed, by the way. I was, was. going to mention it. I decided it was in this in just because of time. But I did read that race that you ran, and you were very well endorsed. I was. By I, mean, I was amazed by your endorsements. We had a real fluke of an election that year. There were two yeah. primary seasons. Right. So there was a presidential primary, and then there was a separate one. And Sacramento County had something like a 14% right. turnout in the second one, probably a 60% turnout in the right. first one, just to give you an idea. And my opponent uh, was from San Joaquin County to the south, which in that district should and not have— he was have, not well endorsed. I mean, Should not was, have mattered yeah, that much, right. except they had a very heated tax measure on the ballot. Uh, so their turnout went way up. Ours was way down. And so suddenly all the votes were coming from that county, and that's, yeah. what, that's what called the So uh, had the race you won that, where would you be today? I've told people I probably would have spent a lot of time at the Capitol hitting the no button. Yeah. You know, that would have been one of my my decisions. And, you know, that race actually really informed my life after that because I realized that's not higher office. That's a different office. Yeah, it is. Where you can accomplish very little. And I am, by my very nature. Assembly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Sheriff Um, Cooper was assembly. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can ask most of the people who are in the assembly how much yeah. you actually accomplish. Right. And if you get to the truth of it, it's right. going to be very, very little. Yeah. But do you have aspirations? Would you like no. state senate? I don't think so. No. You're happy where you are? If I were to do that, I would almost view it as a semi-retirement yeah. or something. Because right. what I like is building things. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. why if you look at the resume, it's probably got founder right. on there a lot, right? right. Because I like building things. Yeah, I like yeah. pushing things. I have to say, look, I came here in 2000. Two, I'm sorry, 2000. In 2020, 2019, 2020, and I met you. But having gotten to know you and researched you, you are definitely the, the, the builder or one of the builders of this city. You're very instrumental in what goes on in this city. Thank Not you. Not to embarrass you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's talk about Cyrus Sabar. I went to his retirement um, party, if you want to call it that, his retirement dinner, and and I got to know Cyrus quite well, and I really like Cyrus. His daughter actually works with us here in mm-hmm. the film office. And you gave a very eloquent and passionate talk about him. Tell us some of your talk about Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Cyrus is just a great American story. He is. Incredible. You know, yeah. coming from Iran, uh, yeah. escaping Iran, really, in a way. Yeah. Coming here with tons of family support to, right. you know, get him here, just yeah. barely here. yeah. yeah. And then making, you know, this life for himself as, right. a, as an engineer and a public employee yeah. and helping others. And how he did it. Yeah. Working at a pizza store at yeah. night and studying during the day. I, anybody listening to, I should listen to his podcast because he went into. It was great. That very podcast. eloquent yes. how he did it. So, so he's just been uh, a real joy to work with. You know, he was there in the 10 years and I think that helped sort of polish him off. As a, as a leader, you know, watching how Ted handled things differently from probably the other environments Cyrus had been in, because he'd worked at the county, and he'd worked in the private sector before. So he really, I think, matured in the city of Ranch Cordova, and when he was asked to be city manager, it just shone. He has a certain way right. of speaking with people. It came yeah. through in the podcast, but that he can also deal with a very angry crowd of neighbors who don't want that stop sign on right. the street. Right, right, And sort of, you know, open it up for them and say, you know, this is not the end of the world getting a stop sign have you ever seen him angry i'd like to see him angry <laughs> like does he ever i i have seen that yeah. yeah uh his anger his anger would be focused on a government agency not doing what they should that's yeah. when you're most likely to see it because yeah. he would view that like i do as a as a betrayal of public yeah. trust well i was very taken by what the words you had to say about him there's some fun stories yeah 
What is the, what are you most looking forward to 2024 and on in your capacity in, on the city council? Hmm. In, well, in accomplishing, what are the accomplishments that you want to see in the next couple of years? Well, certainly that big city-funded project on Folsom Boulevard yeah. that I hope lights a match of redevelopment up and down that street because right. that's that's when, what are we looking at there next year two years five years about two years two years about two years it's always difficult to say in development yeah. because we have private approved everything's approved right essentially approved yeah we have a lot of details to but work approved with the public i went to a very contentious city council meeting now i'm yeah. stunned at how contentious it was it is that's all it's past that that meeting was really a reflection of the pent-up energy and angst in the community about certain issues like where is our recreation right so i look forward to measure h and measure r are two measures that the voters have approved that give us extra resources other cities don't have yeah to reinvest in things now that project setting off redevelopment of Folsom Boulevard, that's important yeah but you know fixing parks and facilities and adding more programs for aged people uh, or kids in school, that's what really yeah. excites me because yeah. we can make people's lives more whole. Right. We can allow them to pursue their own passions, their and own freedoms. And there's a lot of home building here, right? There is. Yeah. Which, so we're offering a more balanced yeah. option, you know, number of options for people right. to live. So as we get to a close here, the last topic I want to talk to you about and something I know you're very close with, Shelley Blanchard, um, Cordova Community Council. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, you've been, you're on the board, I think, right? Or you have been. I'm president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're president of the board. So first of all, talk about Cordova Community, CCC as I call it, because it's just so long, and your involvement, and just tell us the attributes and how great it is, because it is a great organization. It is. This is the organization that all of my colleagues who are city officials elsewhere want in their community, and really? none of them have. Really? Wow. <laughs> we're, we're very unique. Well, been just give them the money. Oft, <laughs> oft copied, but not yet really successfully copied. Um, the Cordova Community Council dates back to, I think, 1957. I know. She told me. And they were founded to be a voice for local organizations. That was the unique part of them in dealing with county governance. So there was no city council here, and that basically acted like our city council. It was founded by the Rotary Club and a bunch of churches and the Elks Lodge and organizations like that, Boy Scouts, right. Little League. They were all involved in the Cordova Community Council. Now, fast forward until 1997 or 98 when I became aware of it, it had devolved down to a like a monthly lunch group. And it was being hosted by a series of churches. So every month the, the lunch would be hosted by a different set of churches or a different church, and you would go there and voice a concern, and maybe or maybe not they would take up, you know, the cause and do something about it. They were the hosts of the 4th of July in Hagen Park for a number of years. So they had really, they had an enormously important vision that set them off, and they had sort of slumped down to this monthly lunch club. When we formed the city, and we're looking, how do we engage people, and how do we do this differently than everybody else? That structure became of great interest to me. I'd been engaged on their board. I'd, I had rejuvenated the 4th of July event in Hagen Park. That was probably my first big civic effort here, actually, yeah. was refounding the 4th right. of July um, activities that we have, the you know parade and fireworks and festival and all that, concerts. So we looked at that organization and said, boy, if you can really capture the leadership, the volunteer leadership of Rancho Cordova in this organization and align them towards doing big things, that would be amazing. And then you do the regular analysis. Well, what holds them back? What's the barrier to that? Can the city knock down the barrier? The barrier was you needed some kind of core infrastructure. You needed like an office 
maybe a staff to, to uh, coordinate all those individual activities. So you could do that with volunteers, but that only goes so far. What if you took all the core out of that, all that core responsibility out of it, and allowed them to focus more on their missions and less on supporting the core of operations? And so that's what the city chose to do. We chose to fund the Cordova Community Council, give them an office in City Hall, along with the Chamber of Commerce and our travel and tourism group, right. put them there and say, hey, go manage the 4th of July, go manage other events. We want you to train up the leadership of Rancho Cordova um, and support all these other nonprofits in whatever they want to do. And the city basically says, you, you go do what you know best. We're not calling the shots here. Go do it. And that organization has <laughs> exploded yeah. in its impact. I also, listen, we've had Shelly here, and we had a long conversation. I think, well, how do you, I asked her, how do you do all these events, like one after the other? It's just an army of volunteers that she's put yes. together. And the most important thing is it could easily be monetized, right? You could charge for $10 here, but it's all free, Yes. most of it. I mean, I would say 99% are free. So it's a, and so the city obviously continues to support forever so here, here here's a little story the arts community came to us and said we want an arts council this really tells you what ranch cordova as a city is like we want an arts council because all these other cities have arts councils right. and then each council member can appoint someone to the art council and then the art council can meet behind the dais and we can have a published agenda well, an art council will be like an arts commission yeah yeah and we can talk yeah. about art and we'll publish yeah. our agenda and we'll have reports and maybe we'll you know do something like that and the city council kind of looked at them and was like no Go talk to the community council. Go talk to the community council. See what you can do with them. Right. There are events people. Right. And so off they went, and they were not happy. Community council looked at them and said, why don't we just do an art show in City Hall? We've got a city that's willing to support whatever we want to do. Let's do an art show here. Can we do that? Of course we can do that. Well, you want to fast forward to now, you're sitting here with me. <laughs> you're, so you're a product right. of what started right. there. Right. Now we have we, the MAC. Yeah, now we have the MAC. We've got theater we're funding in the yeah. community. We have music. We have our own symphony in Rancho Cordova. We're doing we have a documentary about yeah, them. By the we way, we have a community yeah. band. All these things. RCAA, that sports organization, they're part of uh, the community council. Our arts council is now there. But all that happened because the city got out of the way. Said, "Go over there with the volunteers. We'll knock down any barriers you have. You got a financial problem? We'll fix that. Insurance problem? We'll fix that. You need a facility? We'll fix that. You need your road closed? We do that." Wow. You know, you need money to remodel a building so you can do what your right, passions right. are. Yeah. We'll do that. Right. We're not going to do it, though. No. You can do it. Right. We just want to fund, help you do it. Right, right. And that just le leads to unbelievable amounts of success. It gets to the point, Charles, where we almost say, if we, if we had a bunch of people who had a passion for repaving streets, should we use a community council right. to repave the street? Right, right. It's like, what, what in a city could you yeah. not have volunteers do? you have do? a public works community council. Right. That goes around and <laughs> fixes everything. If you think about why we have cities to begin with, like why does a city even exist? People moved and lived together for safety. Right. And then they could do things together that they couldn't do individually. All this is is like almost the ultimate representation of that, right? So this year marks the 20th anniversary of this city, incorporation. You've been here from day one. I would imagine when it's July, isn't it? July yeah, 3rd July or somewhere. First, I guess, First, is the official yeah. incorporation. That I would imagine it would be a very proud day for you that whenever, whatever the big festivity is, and Shelly has been yeah. very tight-lipped about what that is, <laughs> but whatever that festivity is, sort of the climax of the 20th anniversary, I would imagine you'll be there. You were there from the beginning. You were very instrumental in building this city. 
how is that going to be for you? How are you going to look back and go, wow, it's been 20 years already? Or is it going to be we accomplished a lot and we're going to continue? You know, I tend to be very forward-looking. Uh, I respect history. I love history. I read a lot of history. But in my own accomplishments or involvement, I tend to be very fo forward-looking. And my deficit is that, as a result, I don't say thanks very often. That's something I always work on. Because I always think, well, how could we have done that better? Right. You know, not thank you for doing such a great right, job. Right. I'm automatically thinking, well, we could do this better. Right, you know? right. <laughs> so yeah. I think I'll probably be reflective. Yeah pretty emotional at that moment, but at the same time be thinking, there's so much more we still can right. do. And I always ask everybody, but what is the big plan? Or are you not going to say? Or maybe they don't know. Oh, yet. for the... Yeah, is there like any big... So what's... we don't necessarily do one big thing. There, no, will, no, be, no. there will be one big one thing. One big thing, yeah. There will be one big thing. And it's well, very, what are some of the things? It's very close to the 4th of July. So you're going to see things at our 4th of July that you haven't seen before. Okay. Because we often couple those two events because it'd be difficult to do something on the first and something on the third right. and the fourth so we often couple our birthday with the third and the fourth i think you'll also see some more things spread around the city and at other events just right. extra little enhancements of right. oh you can do that yeah yes we can well one thing i do know because we're filming it because we're doing a documentary about the symphony mm -hmm. and they're going to be doing a big concert at city hall where they're going to be doing a buster keaton movie a silent movie is playing and they're going to play along to it, to right. an original piece. That, I think, is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So finally, last question. If we look, if we're, we're back here in five years from today on this podcast, hopefully, what will this city look like? Ooh. We'll have a lot more tech jobs. Yeah. We will have, uh, hopefully, more construction along Folsom Boulevard. We'll have a greater variety of housing than we do now. Our kids will be more engaged in extracurricular activities than they are now, and everybody will be guaranteed a more equitable option in pursuing those, those extracurricular activities. Our kids, I think there'll be more options for adults with regard to recreation and entertainment as well. The Mills yeah. Crossing will be open. Mills Drive Crossing in. will be, yeah, five People years from now it should be open. Yeah. We should be having theater, where, theater events there, yeah. and the and veterans where, should be meeting there. And where will the Art House movie theater be? That is a very good question we need yeah. to follow up on, right. Charles. Yeah. We've been talking with Vice Mayor David Sander. And David, thank you for being here. I always end this podcast with a quick fire round of questions. Oh, boy. So I'm going to try and ask you them. So these are fun. And we've had some great answers, by the way. So what is one word that best describes you? Oh, well... Okay, we're pretending like we're psychologists here. The first word that came into my mind was ambition. Ambition. But it's not so much my ambition. Right. It's my ambition for things. For things. Yeah. 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 If you could be one person for a day besides yourself, who would it be and why? <laughs> and people always say alive or living. Whatever, I guess. Whatever? Whatever, yeah. Well, gosh, I love history. So I would probably choose something like Julius Caesar on his triumph parade through yeah. Rome. Someone else chose Julius Caesar. Something I like that. I don't know who that was. Because that would just be such a shocking, you know, right. enormous event in history. Right. I'd love to be able to witness that in person. What is your biggest pet peeve? Clutter and mess. Yeah. Do you have any hidden talents? Uh, ooh. Oh, I've discovered one, but I don't know if it's still hidden in that case. But um, apparently I'm a pretty good shot. Shot? Shot. With a gun? Yeah. You are? I went to an You're event. like a marksman? Yeah. I went to an event, and this was happening. They were, you know, shooting, and I participated. 
in this event. With a handgun or a rifle? It was a shotgun at Clay Pigeons. Wow. You know, clay discs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. a pole and you would shoot them? Yes. You would? They were doing that. And I don't really have any experience from my youth in that, not much. So it's not like I had It was any... a natural thing? I think so. Wow. Yeah. I, I see I that on the back of ships. They do it. Right. And, they, and, they, and I think, how do they do that? Yeah. And I don't know why, but, you know, my dad had, got, had some success in the Army with that. I almost wonder if there's some sort of a skill there, but untapped. Okay, so residents of Rancho Cordova, your vice mayor is a good shot. <laughs> I'm also a woodworker, though. That's probably what people oh, you are. really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I love building things out of wood, but I rarely have time for it. What project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? I think Opportunities for Kids has yeah. occupied a lot of the last six years of my thinking. Yeah. And finally, what is your favorite thing about the city of Rancho Cordova? Uh, you know, um, I love the people who live here and their passions for a huge number of things, the diversity of, of interests they have. But I think the, the big asset we have in this community, which I love, which is probably why I first ended up living here, is the American River and the Parkway yeah. and the opportunity that yeah. offers all it of us. It is beautiful. Yeah. Few, few minutes from here. There's very little like yeah, that in there the is. U.S. I walk there very often. Vice Mayor David Sander, thank you very much for your time. We've been here a long time. I appreciate your time, and I certainly appreciate everything you do for this city. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate it. Thank that. you for being here. You've been listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast, and until next time. Mm-hmm.